we read a short time ago. Uh, and we can take as just the leading theme of the epistle, um, where you find uh, uh, Paul here addressing Philemon in this way, um, where he's saying uh, about the love that, uh, that he has for Philemon and Philemon has for him as well. So if you look at verse 8 accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to commend you to do what is required, yet for love's sake. I prefer to appeal to you, especially these words. We'll take the whole letter as it is, but look at it under the direction of these words, because really I think that captures the spirit of the letter for love's sake. How well that describes the apostle's own uh, relationship with Christ and also his uh, work as an apostle. Um, I'm sure you've done this uh, a number of times. I, I certainly have when you've opened a letter that's come into your possession, into your house. Uh, uh, recently, there was one came in and I didn't have my glasses on and it, I noticed the word James and 46 Francis Street. So off I went and opened it. And then when I opened it, it was actually a document addressed to James Murray. Uh, fortunately, it was nothing really private or anything like that, but it's always a privilege to be able to read the likes of a letter like Philemon, because this is a very personal letter. Um, and it's a letter in many ways different to any of the other letters of the apostle, although the, the letters to Timothy and to Titus are personal, they're addressed to them as individuals, but they're really much more in the context of the wider church and the, the way in which they, they're being given directions for their place in the church. But this is a letter to this individual, uh, loved by the apostle and uh, uh, dealing with uh, this escaped slave Onesimus. Onesimus, who had escaped from Philemon's household and had come to be, uh, in some way or other, uh, made, in, made a contact with, with the Apostle Paul, and under the Apostle's teaching came to be converted. And a changed man, and now Paul is sending him back to Philemon with these uh, directions, uh, instructions really as well, um, so that uh, Philemon will receive him back, even as he would have received Paul himself. So, first thing to take from the letter, really, I think, is that grace, the grace that brings us to know the Lord and his salvation, grace produces a Christian character. Grace produces Christian character in every single one of us who knows the grace of God as it operates in our lives. And that means that it doesn't matter what kind of background we have, what kind of upbringing we've had, what kind of situation in life we've got, the grace of God that brings us to know the Lord actually produces a Christian character. It actually brings us to be a Christian people in the image of Christ himself, to serve the Lord in different ways. And you can see that uh, this man who was converted through the Apostle Paul, if you look at verses four to five, you can see what Paul is saying there. I thank you, uh, my God. This is in writing to talking about Philemon. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith goes on to say might be effective. So the apostle is giving thanks for the faith and the love that Philemon has already, and that is actually reaching out towards what he calls the saints especially, 
and the Lord Jesus and the saints. Uh, Paul has come to know of this man, Philemon, as now he serves the Lord, as grace has changed his life and reached into his life. This is the product of that grace, this Christian character, this concern uh, for the love that he has for the Lord Jesus, the love that is uh, in Paul himself, of course, as well. So that's the first thing he's saying. Faith and love towards Jesus and the saints is one of the chief evidences that you have of someone whose life has been changed. And the second thing there in verses six to seven, that then has a positive impact on the whole of the Christian community. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. What a magnificent statement. How much would you want that? And I would want that to be said of myself by somebody who could genuinely say, that's what I see in you. That's what I find in you. Not only do you love the Lord and do you love the saints, but the sharing of your faith, the sharing out of your faith, the way in which you relate to other people and show your faith to them and express your faith to them, that it may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. The hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. There's a, a wonderful image there, a picture there of how uh, the grace that changes our lives or the lives that have been changed by grace are themselves lives which affect those within the Christian community, the Christian church, the Christian congregation, but also out with that that it may become effective. I think he's including there not just among the saints, but effective out with that as well, so that uh, uh, knowledge, the full knowledge of everything that is in us for the sake of Christ. And that's really resulted in Paul's joy and comfort. I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. It doesn't just mean the love that Philemon has shown to him personally, but the love that Philemon has shown to his fellow Christians, to the world around him, for the apostle, that is a source of much joy and much comfort. And isn't that how it is for ourselves? What gives you greater comfort than to know that God is using you, however small a way you might see it to be or I might see it to be, if it brings refreshment, if it brings comfort, if it brings um, some help to those who are in need and struggling, then that's surely a source of much comfort and uh, joy for ourselves. That's really what our Christian life is directed towards, directed by grace towards the uh, refreshing, the help, the teaching, the support of others. Now, that's really the description of Philemon. What grace has done to Philemon is expressed there in what he is to Paul and what he is to his fellow Christians, and even what he is out with that as he shares his faith that God has given him. But then he speaks about Onesimus as well. I appeal to you, he says, verse 10, for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. And by that he means I became a spiritual father in my imprisonment. Paul had come into contact, or Onesimus somehow came into contact with Paul during this imprisonment. And uh, here is uh, the result of it. He had become a Christian. 
He was converted. And now he is saying, I appeal to you for this, my child, my spiritual child, whose father I became in my imprisonment. And then you notice what he says. It's in brackets, but it's actually a really powerful statement. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. You see how, how much a change has happened in this man who, who ran away as a slave from Philemon's home, from uh, the work that he was doing there, ran away as somebody who was just then openly and seeking to escape from that uh, way of life. But now he's been converted. Normally, he says, he was useless to you. That word's important. It means um, more than just, well, we use the word useless usually, don't we, of somebody that you're giving some work to or somebody that's trying to do something for you and ends up making a mess of it. Some, so you just say, oh, that's, you're useless. Just I'll get somebody else or I'll do it myself. Uh, that's not the... The, the meaning of the word useless, it's, it's stronger than that. Useless here has the idea of being harmful, being actually bad, not just being useless and not able to do the work properly or something like that. The word really means he was bad. He was not dependable. Uh, he, he was somebody who, who was harmful and did harm to you. But that's changed into the opposite. Now he is indeed useful to me and that word means very beneficial you see he's gone from somebody who was really out to do harm somebody whose life was really about damaging other people including his former employer but now he's become a christian now he's been changed by grace he's become the opposite of what he was he's become useful he's become very beneficial and if there's one thing that should characterize your own life and mine, it's this. Whatever background we've come from, whatever we were when God came and converted us and changed our lives around, the one thing that should be obvious about us, to some degree or other, in some way or other, is that we are useful people. Useful for the Lord. Because we are servants of Christ. We are servants in the sense that we want to be useful in his employment for him to use to bring benefit to those around us, to those near to us, to those in our Christian community, in our congregation, to those out with that in our neighborhood, in our workplace, wherever. If it's said of us that we are useful for the Lord, that's a great thing. Because that's really what the Christian life is all about, isn't it? To be Useful. Now, I'm not saying by that that you would say of yourself that you're a very useful person, and I wouldn't say it of myself. But God changes us so that he makes us of use in some way or other to other people. And to be useful in a world that has so, so many needs is itself a wonderful emphasis. And we may never be the best at any kind of job that we're involved with. There may be others who are far better at it than we as Christians may be. That doesn't mean because we're Christians or because a Christian, uh, a doctor or nurse or whatever work we're doing, um, that they're Christians, that they know the Lord, that they're going to be the very best at doing that job, that they're going to be the most skilled at doing it. It doesn't follow that way. But there should be nobody more dedicated 
Nobody's nobody more dependable, nobody more honest, nobody with a greater desire to be useful in every way than a Christian, than a person whose life God has touched. And this is what he's saying. The grace that has turned Philemon, that's affected Philemon, and brought him to be a means of refreshing to the saints, well, that grace has touched the life of Onesimus. And now Onesimus is turned from being useless, harmful, to being very beneficial. In fact, uh, his name itself, uh, Onesimus, actually has to do with the idea of uh, being useful. And the way that he puts it here, he's useful to me, or to you, and to me. Uh, I think Paul is striking a note there that's important, and it's something like this. He is useful to the kingdom of God, to the work of the kingdom, whether he's working for me or alongside me or working for you back uh, with yourself. I'm sending him back to you. doesn't matter where he is, but this is for you and for me, for the kingdom he is now useful. He's a useful instrument under God. And of course, grace, as you see it here, it comes through in what the apostle is saying of himself as well, not just about Philemon and about Onesimus, but also about himself. His attitude, for example, to his imprisonment. He launches out into this little wonderful letter full of love, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. And Timothy, our brother, he goes on speaking of himself through the epistle a number of times. He refers to himself in different ways. Uh, and you can see there in verses 18 and 19, um, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. In other words, Paul is saying, you actually, under God, owe what you are to me through my ministry for God. But he said, I'm not really concerned about that. I do want you to realize that if this man has wronged you, if he's robbed you, if he's done something bad to you, as previously uh, he's saying he was that kind of person, put that on my account. I'll pay it for him. I'll make up for it. Even if he's not able to make up for it, I'll do it for him. What a wonderful heart the apostle had. And what a wonderful insight that gives us into the way that a Christian prioritizes not just the needs of others, but the needs of others even to the extent that they would put themselves out in order to actually support them and make up for whatever deficiencies this man had to his employer, Philemon. Uh, it shows itself, doesn't it? In, I mean, Paul is really saying here, well, um, there, there's no need for it in a sense uh, that you would receive him in, in this way other than your Christian duty. But uh, when we are ourselves converted, one of the great tests of that is that when things don't go your way, what is your reaction? When things are different to the way you'd have ordered it yourself or myself, how do we respond to that? Here is Paul in prison. He wouldn't have chosen that for himself. It's not something he would have said, this is where I'd really love to be. Therefore, I'm going to make my way into prison and just stay there. That just so happened he's there for Christ. 
Uh, whatever led to it, we're not sure, but he's there for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake because he was prominently a Christian, an apostle in some way that led to this. But still see, he's saying here, if he has wronged you, charge that to my account. In other words, Paul is really saying, however things fall out, however things come to be, and you find them as they are, you bring it to God and you say, well, how can I be useful? How can I be useful even in regard to this thing? How can my, my Savior come through in my attitude and action in regard to this thing that I hadn't chosen for myself? But this is how it is for him. Philemon, Onesimus, and Paul, three lives intertwined, each of them changed by the grace of God, but intertwined into being useful instruments for the kingdom of Christ. So grace produces a Christian character, but grace, uh, grace also positively affects relationships. You see here why Paul is writing to him and, and describing to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and then Aphia, our sister, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. And in, in these ways, you can see how he's describing there um, the way in which uh, these people are so precious to the apostle. Uh, there's no rivalry mentioned there. There's nothing of jealousy mentioned there. There's uh, Paul the prisoner, but Timothy is his brother, his, his, his spiritual brother. Philemon is his brother, his beloved fellow worker. There's no jealousy on the part of the apostle as to how much he's achieved compared to Philemon or vice versa. They're in it together. They're in it sharing in the work of the gospel. And it's all about helping each other, however God allocates success or otherwise. And he calls here Aphia, our sister Archippus, our fellow soldier. He, he, Paul is very much aware that he's not alone in the battle. And he's thankful for those other Christians that support him. And he's calling them his fellow soldiers. That's what you are. Here I am tonight standing in this pulpit, as I often do, and thankful for it, and thankful for your own presence to receive the, the, the gospel through the ministry of the gospel, through the preaching of the gospel. But where would I be without you being fellow soldiers if I was just the only person on the front line in the gospel here in this congregation? Where would that be? I would certainly not be at all confident of much, but I am because you are my fellow soldiers. You are conjoined together and joined with me in the preaching of the gospel, in the ministry of the gospel. You're taking your own share of what it is to be in the battle for Christ and to actually be at the forefront sometimes of that battle. What a great privilege it is to, to be able to call each other fellow soldiers, co-soldiers, co-workers, in the kingdom of Christ. Um, and that really, uh, as you see here in verses 8 to 9, leads on to, though I am bold enough in Christ to commend you, to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. And these, again, are wonderful words. Paul is saying, I'm an apostle, actually. I'm not going to stress that, he's saying. I'm not going to really um, 
build what I'm saying on the fact that I'm an apostle, although it's true, I could command you. I could actually set it out by saying, look, I am the apostle Paul. You owe under me. You owe yourself to me in the sense that I was used for your conversion. But he's saying, that's not the road I want to go down. Instead, I appeal to you for love's sake. For love's sake. Whatever we can or cannot achieve through loving each other, it'll certainly always be a lot more than what we can do by way of command or forcing the issues. I was talking in the school yesterday and today to a class about what is the work of a minister? What does a minister do? And uh, one of the questions that was asked, they sent in the questions ahead of them. They were very, very good questions. And it was a privilege to, to be there. But one of the questions was, would you force an atheist to believe what you believe? Good question. Would you force an atheist? Would you try to force an atheist to believe what you believe? And of course, my answer to that was no, because the work of the gospel, whether it's in the minister or any Christian, is not about forcing people's minds. It's not about trying to force the issue so that you're pressing people against their will into believing what you believe, into being the kind of person that you would like them to be. For love's sake, you set out the love of Jesus, the love of God. You show your Christian love as a product of God's grace. And our appeals always have to be for love's sake. Of course, that doesn't mean that in the church there should never be such a thing as, uh, as instruction given or rebukes given whenever that's necessary or commands in the sense that we come from God's word to say to somebody maybe whose life has gone somewhat astray and say, well, this is what God is commanding. You've got to, you've got to really take note of that. That's, there's a place for that. But even that has to be done in the spirit of love for love's sake, because nothing is as effective as love and the workings of love and the emphasis of love. And love always has to predominate in everything that we do. Uh, that's how God persuades us, isn't it? Um, it's not that necessarily that we, we, we have no experience of his law touching our lives, showing our sins, bringing us guilt before the Lord. And if the law does that, then that's God at work. But what does God then do? He brings you to the gospel. He brings you to the love that's shown in Christ and in his death and in his resurrection. And there is where um, the law having done its work, if you like, if that's been the case, it always brings us to the gospel, to the love of God. And for love's sake, really is something you could say is applicable to God's way of working as well. The love that is shown to us in Christ. And that's how it, it does change people, this grace that changes people. It uh, brings about this great product of, of love, this fruit of that change is love. I remember hearing uh, once about two elders weren't in the same congregation, but uh, they were now uh, at a ripe old age and having reached an age where they were both in a care home and both failing in health. Um, but they had been somewhat um, 
uh, well, they weren't really on the best of terms, let's say, always uh, in the earlier stages of their life. They were different congregations. But they ended up in the same care home. And one actually uh, lost his sight completely. Physically, still very strong. He was a big man, but he had lost his sight. The other one was very slight. And although he had his eyesight, he was very weak physically and really needed support. And uh, somebody had said they had seen them one day walking out in the garden of the care home, holding on to each other. And you can see what's happening there. The one who was slight and really weak and finding it difficult really to get the strength to walk was hanging on to the big man who had the strength but didn't have the eyesight. And the fellow who was the weak, he was the eyes of the fellow who was strong. And I think that's a wonderful illustration of how with our different needs, we help each other through the course of life. We are endowed by God to fit in alongside of others, different in many respects, but for love's sake and through love, that support is so crucial to the progressing of our Christian life and experience. For love's sake. And that's why Paul mentions the word heart here. You'll notice that as we read through it, verse 7. So what he's saying there, I've derived much comfort, joy and comfort, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed. Verse 12, you go there, you see him mentioning again, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. And then you find verse 20. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. In other words, Paul is really taking us into the inner substance and working of our souls. When he's sending Onesimus back, he's sending his own heart, his own love. He's talking about the heart of the saints, the hearts of the saints, the very spiritual inners of the saints have been refreshed by Philemon. And for Paul, of course, uh, love is so important, the matter of the heart, what he's saying to the uh, to the Philippians chapter 1, verse 8, this I pray, that your love may abound more and more. Your love collectively. I was talking to somebody the other day about sanctification and how sanctification by and large in the New Testament, especially in Paul's writings, it's not a matter for individual growth. There is that. But Paul is writing to the context of the church together. And when the church together is uh, required to grow, it's together that they grow. You and I contribute to each individual's growth, to our own personal growth, but to the growth of the body in love, as he puts it in Ephesians. And so it's for love's sake. You're never to be satisfied with something other than the very heart of things. And the very heart of things is the heart of love. So there's Paul and Philemon, but... You can see Philemon and Onesimus, we've mentioned some of this already. Onesimus has caused much pain. So you could say really that this, this very personal little letter is about reconciliation. It's about a reconciliation between Philemon and his former slave Onesimus. And uh, that's really 
a test here for Philemon, verse 16, very much a test where he's saying, I'm sending him back to you no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Now, Paul has said, I would have been glad to keep him here with me. Had I thought that was the right thing to do, that's what I would have done in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent so that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own free will. So he's saying uh, that that's what he's then saying, uh, sending him back to him uh, is how much he's now to receive him no longer as a slave. Well, what a test that was for Philemon. Here was a man who had wronged him, who had been bad, who had not been good in any sense, in the way that uh, the word means uh, to, to be good, to, to actually be reliable. He'd run away. He'd done some damage. And now Paul is saying, receive him back. But don't receive him back just as a servant or as a slave. Receive him as a brother in Christ. Receive him as somebody who will be alongside of yourself in the kingdom of God, in the work of, of, of serving Jesus. And that's why he calls him um, beloved. It's a forgiveness that he's asking for, uh, for, for Philemon to forgive this man, uh, to forgive him by such, in such a way as will demonstrate that forgiveness by receiving him back as a brother in Christ. That's a test that he has to meet. It's a test that he has to overcome. And you see what he's saying in verse 17? If you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Receive him as you would receive me. In other words, Paul is saying to him, if I was to appear on your doorstep, Philemon, tomorrow, the spirit in which you receive me there is how I want you to receive Onesimus coming back to you as a brother Christian. You see how grace has changed things. And now grace is now what Philemon needs to, to have and to know and to, to show in receiving Onesimus back. Receive him, Paul is saying. In other words, he's not just to receive him back into his employment. He's not just to forgive him in a sort of outward sense or in a formal sense, he's saying, what I want you to do is to welcome him. There's the test for you and for me. When we have been wronged, when we've fallen out with some folk, and then they come back and they ask, I'm really, really sorry. Forgive me. It must never be in the spirit of reluctance or just a formality. The challenge is, to welcome the reconciliation, to welcome the opportunity to forgive, because that's how God dealt with ourselves. So welcome him, he's saying. Um, and uh, you can just imagine the picture just now of Onesimus having gone back to Philemon, and the Lord's Supper is going to be next week. Wherever it's going to be, this church in the house, uh, the church in your house of Archibus, and the church in your house, he's saying to Philemon, all of those, those people, I think it's Philemon's house he means there. 
And you imagine, well, let's, let's imagine they're going to observe the Lord's Supper. And along comes Philemon. And who's with him? Onesimus. And where do they sit? Beside each other. Not one above the other. Not one more important than the other. At the Lord's table, all is on the same level. There are no ranks at the Lord's Supper. We are all one in Christ Jesus. For the sake of love, he saying. So grace produces Christian character. Grace positively affects our relationships in Christ. And it shows the power of the gospel, friends. Power of the gospel to, to, to change matters positively. To restore not just individuals to each other so that they welcome the reconciliation. This is the gospel that has the power to extend beyond that. To change broken homes, broken lives, communities. Nations even, through the power of Christ, for the sake of love. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give thanks tonight that we are here uh, in the love that you have shown to us. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would help us to respond in love, not only to you and to our fellow uh, believers, but also to the world around us, for you require us to go beyond loving one another, even to the love of our enemies. We give thanks, Lord, for the opportunities you give us to do this. But we pray your forgiveness for the times we fail you, as we do, Lord, so often. And we pray that tonight uh, we might indeed increase in our love for each other, that our love may abound more and more, and that we may welcome whenever reconciliation and forgiveness is required. Lord, help us, Lord, not to enter into any of that reluctantly. Give us to be glad that issues are mended when they need to be mended. Uh, give us, Lord, to, to know that even in the larger sense, whether it be between congregations or denominations or communities, as well as individuals, we thank you, Lord, for the pattern set by the love of God in Christ Jesus. We pray these things seeking that you would receive us and hear the prayers of your people silently and also spoken and all for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to now conclude.